Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be over in Numbers chapter 9, verse 15. Numbers 9:15, and while you're getting there, you can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app as well. But uh, last week we started a series in the book of Numbers, and we started out with this task that was given to the Levites. The Levites were told that they were going to be the ones who are going to be put in charge of the tabernacle. Their job was to uh, tear it down and put it up whenever they would move. They would be in charge of the things that were in the tabernacle. They would be servants to the, uh, the fighters, the soldiers. They would be uh, not servants to them. They would be servants to the priest. Already getting out of that. Anyway. Um, they would serve uh, the priest. And so uh, that was their special task. And we talked about the, the idea of God being at the center. God at the center of everything. That was kind of the, the whole premise at the beginning of the book of Numbers. Everything was about the way the uh, camp was set up with the tabernacle being at the center, with the Levites and the priests being at the center. Everything was about God being at the center, the worship of God at the center. And we talked about what happens when we start to remove God from the center of our life. What happens when we start to let God be pushed out by you know, other things, by idols, by uh, people. What happens when we start to replace God at the center? And we need to keep him at the center of our lives. And so we're moving on now to Numbers chapter 9. And I know uh, it was a great week for everybody because school started back up. Yeah, all the kids were super happy, and I know this because I saw all of the uh, pictures on Facebook of the, uh, here's the first day of school, and all the kids are smiling, and, and I didn't see the parents, they're taking the pictures, but I imagine they were smiling. Everybody was smiling. It was back to school time. Can I share some wisdom to the students in here? This is wisdom that I learned the hard way. And it's this. If I could give you one piece of advice, it would be this. Listen and obey instruction. Listen and obey instruction. And if you're a teacher or you're a parent sitting next to you, just kind of, you heard what he said. Listen to instruction. I learned this the hard way, and I will explain how. There was once a point in my life when I was a little bit rebellious. And you might be thinking, no, not you. Rebellious. I was a sophomore in high school. And I was in tech ed, and I don't know if they call it something different today, but it was, we called it tech ed. And we had a classroom where we would go and we would learn from time to time, but then we also had computers, and we would go and do computer-based learning. And uh, it, was, it was a really cool, it was one of my favorite classes. And I remember it was computer learning time. And we had these little cubicles with different computers, and different computers had different things that they would do. Like one was a surgery game that you would be learning how to do surgery. There was a flight simulator. There would be all these different things. And I remember getting up out of my little cubicle and talking to a friend, and the teacher caught me. Mr. Dernal saw me get out of my chair and talk to my friend, and he goes, you need to sit down. You need to stay seated. And I said, okay, okay. And so what do I do? A few minutes later, I get up, and I go back and start talking to my friend. And, you know, my friend, he should have been like, hey, you need to go sit down. But no, he's just sitting there talking to me, too. Uh, he didn't get in trouble because he stays in. It's... 
And so he sees me, the teacher sees me again, and there's no warning this time. He says, you have an option. You get to write 1,000 times, I will not get out of my chair, or you get two swats. I wanted nothing to do with swats, so I said, I will write down, I will not get out of my chair 1,000 times. And so that was my homework that night, 1,000 times, I will not get out of my chair. And I was trying to figure out as many ways I could to make it go quicker, like if I just write, I, 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 will, 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 like trying to do whatever I can to make it go faster. And I'm, I'm doing this, and I was up a little late that night writing it down, but I finally got all 1,000 times, I will not get out of my chair. And you may be thinking, justice was served. You, you were punished for what you did. You learned your lesson. You turned in those thousand sentences of, I will not get out of my chair. You learned from your mistake, and everything went smoothly from there on out. Well, I wish I could tell you that was the case. So the next day, I go in, and I turn in my papers that have the thousand times. Hand- we, today, it would be nice. We'd have a computer. We'd type it all out. But now, I had, you know, this was handwriting. I turn it all in, and what do I do? A few minutes later, I get out of my chair, and I go, and I start talking to this friend. And the teacher sees me. Mr. Dernal sees me. And I was expecting a warning, but no. I I guess the 1,000 times should have been my warning. He sees me, and he says, all right, 2,000 times or two swats. And this time, I say, give me the swats. I'll take the SWATs. It's the only time I ever got SWATs in school. I learned my lesson that time for sure. And, you know, it, it hurt. It hurt. He, uh, you know, had a couple of holes drilled in the top to get that extra, you know. I learned my lesson. I'll just say that. Matter of fact, I wanted so bad for my parents not to find out about it that I kept it secret until years later after I was out of high school. I go, did I ever tell you about the time I got SWATs in school? And my mom's like, What? You got swats in school? You see, Mr. Dernal was a nice guy. And what he wanted his students to do was to listen to instruction, follow his instructions, do what was asked. You see, we're in Numbers chapter 9, and we're getting ready to go into Numbers chapter 10, and in Numbers chapter 10, the Israelites are going to start moving from Mount Sinai. They're going to start moving towards the Promised Land. But in chapter 9... We see instruction. We see God giving the people, here's how you're going to know when it's time to move. Here's how you're going to know when it's time to stay. And they had the responsibility of obeying and listening to what, they, what God was telling them to do. And I think that this is very important, not just for the Israelites, but for us. Because we see kind of the same principle, the same idea applied in our lives each and every day. This idea of will we listen Will we obey? Will we follow instruction? And so we're going to start in chapter 9, verse 15. And it says this. It says, On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, and at evening it was over the tabernacle, like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And so the cloud here we see that is over the tabernacle. This is the manifestation of the person and the presence of God. And during the day, it covered the tabernacle. And then the evening, it took on the appearance of fire until morning. The cloud would cover it in the day. And in the evening, the appearance like fire would cover it. And this is very reminiscent of what we see in Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38. 
Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, and the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. I really like how Ronald Allen describes the presence of God here. He says, The idea of the presence of God was so impressive that there was a sense of implied threat if ever this presence was found to be missing. The cloud and fire were both reversals of the expected phenomena of the time. Both the cloud and the fire were striking, unusual, and unexpected. These were symbols one would not, could not ignore. They were awesome and eerie, unnatural and unexpected, comforting and protective. Now, I don't know if I agree completely that they were unusual or unexpected. I mean, God had done some pretty impressive and unusual and extraordinary things in the life of the Israelites. They'd seen God do some pretty powerful things, but I think he's true in saying that this was such a big and striking and powerful symbol. No one could ignore what God was doing here, God's divine presence in the life of the people. And then we come to verse 17. In verse 17 and following, it says, And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out. And at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, and when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time, that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. You see, I think these verses are really very significant. And it's alluded to these, are the verses we read in Exodus. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till day, and it was taken up, and that it was taken up. We see this played out right here, and there's a lot of repetition in these verses. But even in all this repetition, there's a flow and an order you see, for example, in verses 17 and 18, we see that the cloud led the Israelites. The cloud, being the divine presence of God, would lead the people. And when the cloud lifted, the people would move. And when the cloud settled, the people would camp. And the people had to be ready to go at any moment. As soon as the cloud was up, it was time for them to move. When the cloud went down, it was time for them to stay. The cloud, the divine presence of God, led the people and the time the cloud stayed down varied, verses 19 through 22. It could be a day. It could be longer. Our text tells us whether it was two days or a month or a longer time. It could have been days that they stayed in one spot. It could have been weeks, months, possibly longer, that they would stay. And then we see this refrain throughout the whole thing. Israel followed the Lord's command. 
We see this throughout this whole text. Anytime the, the people were told to go, then the cloud lifted, they went. When the cloud stayed, they stayed. They were obedient to follow God's lead, and they would not move until a clear direction was given by God. All right, clouds up, go. Clouds down, stay. And you see, this is not the last time we're going to read about the cloud. We see this cloud in when Solomon dedicates the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. We see the cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration when God appeared before them. Luke 9:34, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. It was by cloud that Jesus ascended into heaven, Acts 1.9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And you see what's so interesting about these things. We see the cloud, we see the, the tabernacle, two things in which Jesus is the manifestation of. You see, it's true. Jesus is the manifestation of the temple, Revelation twenty-one, twenty-two. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And in him, the glory of God dwells. He is the cloud, the manifestation of the cloud, Colossians 1, 19. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so we read this, and we see all this repetition and kind of this simplicity in the structure. But I think there's one big question that this text asks of us this morning, and it's this, will we follow God's lead? Will we follow God's lead? This is the question that we have to ask ourselves. Are we willing to trust and obey God's lead in our life? Are we willing to listen to the words of David and seek and trust in God's leading? Because he does lead us. Psalm 143, 8, it says, Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Psalm 31, 3, it says, For you are my rock and my fortress, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. It seems so simple. Will you follow God's lead? And oftentimes we say it's simple here. It's make, yes, I will follow God's lead. But for something that seems so simple, we struggle with it so much. The Israelites struggled with it so much. Follow God's lead. Okay, until they wanted something. Or they felt like, God, why aren't you providing this? Oh, man, it was better in Egypt. And we say the same thing. Oh, yeah, I'll follow your lead. Unless. Except. But maybe. There's all these things, and the question is, will we follow God's lead? And so, really, I think the text breaks it down into two smaller questions. This idea of, will we follow God's lead, I think our text breaks it down into two, two smaller questions. And I don't even know if smaller is the right word, but here's the first one. Will we follow when God calls us to move? Will we follow God when he calls us to move? Whenever the Lord commanded the people to move, they moved. The cloud raised and the people moved. They were prompted to move. And when I think of this idea of being prompted by God to move, there's so many stories in Scripture of people being prompted by God to move, but there's one that really stands out to me. It's one of my favorite stories, and it comes in the book of Acts. And it's in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 16. It says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. 
The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And you know what he does in verse 17? He goes. He obeys and he goes and does what God has asked him to do. I love this, the willingness to be obedient, even when he had heard things about this man. He knew who Saul was. He knew the the reports that were out there of how this man was having believers arrested. He was approving of their murders. He, He knew who this man was, even though he had heard this man had a bad reputation. What did he do? He went and did what God asked him to do. So here's the question. Would we follow through? If God came to us and said, hey, I want you to go and do this, would we actually follow through? More than likely, if we're honest, a lot of times we would say, now just wait a second, God. Send somebody else. Send somebody else. Send anybody else. There's got to be somebody better. And I think we tend to make a lot of excuses for why we can't move, why we can't do what God asks us to do, why we can't follow through when God asks us to move, when he prompts us to move. There's a lot of excuses we make, but I think we can put them into two categories. And the first one is, I can't. I can't. I mean, I just can't because I am fill in the blank. I I have a broken past. I can't do what you want me to do. I struggle with anxiety. I'm afraid of what people might think. I am nothing special. I wouldn't know what to say. I'm not gifted enough. I'm busy, and I have all these other things that i got to do. I'm just not the right person. And all of these things lead to, I can't. I can't. You remember when Moses was called? When Moses was called to go and help bring his people, God's people, out of the land of Egypt? In Exodus 4.1, it says, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, it says, But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. And finally, in Exodus 4.13, he just simply says, they said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Just send someone else, anyone else. Moses struggled with, I can't. We struggle with, I can't. But here's the thing about the calling on the life of Moses. Every time Moses said, I can't, God responds. The staff that would turn to a snake and the hand of leprosy that we see in chapter 4, verses 3 through 9 in Exodus, that this would be the sign for him to give that God was the one who sent him. When Moses said that he could not speak, God gave him the words to speak in Exodus four eleven through 12. When Moses said that he just couldn't, God told him that he would give Aaron to go and speak for him. Here's the thing, when we feel like we are just not gifted, when we don't know enough, God gives us what we need if we ask. 
You have his word. You have prayer in which you can ask the Spirit to give you the words to speak when you pray. The Scripture is right at our fingertips. We live in a time where all we have to do is open our phones and the Bible is right there for us to use. We live in a time where there's good books and good sermons out there to listen to and to study and to read along with Scripture. And what about the I can't when you say, I'm just too broken to be used. I'm too broken to be used by God. I'm riddled with anxiety, doubt, worry, stress. I'm broken because of my past. There's no way I could do this. And I get that. I do. I'll be honest. I I struggle with anxiety, with self-esteem. I always have. But I heard a great quote the other day, and I really love the analogy. Just remember this, that broken crayons can still color God can still use us in our brokenness. Look at Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. This was a man who understood his past. He understood what had happened in his lifetime. He was a man who, in his religious zealousness, had believers arrested, murdered, before an encounter with God changed his life. And he talked about having this thorn in his flesh. But I love what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. He says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And just earlier in the book of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 5, he says that anybody who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. And you see, this is something God has been reminding me of a lot lately. If we start to feel we're too broken, we need to remember first and foremost that we are a new creation in Christ. If we've given our life to Christ, we are a new creation in him. That old is gone. And the second thing is that God can and and will use us if we're willing to obey. And when we feel like we can, his power is made perfect in all of our weaknesses. And here's the thing. I think at the end of it, there's a testimony to be shared. When you look at your life and how God came into your life and created this new creation in you, There's a testimony to be shared. Psalm 66, 16 says, Come in here, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. You see, there's the can'ts, and then there's one other category, and I think it's the I won't. And I think a lot of the I can'ts that we kind of try to come up with, they fit more into the I won't. I'm just so busy, there's just so much going on, and i just got a lot to do, and so you know, I, maybe there's somebody else. God would surely understand. But see, we can cut things out of our schedule to make God a priority. He should be the thing in which all of our schedule is based around. I think so, so many times it's not just simply I can, it's really just I won't. I won't. I want to do things my way. I want to go where I want to go. I want to do the things that I want to do. And in God, if you're 
your calling to me, if your plan for me does not fit mine, I'm just going to go do things my way. Sometimes we just simply refuse to listen. And so that's the first question. Will we obey when God tells us to move? Or are we going to let the excuses that the enemy throws at us keep us from doing what we have been called to do? And here's the second question. Will we still follow when God calls us to wait? Will we still follow when God calls us to wait? While the people would have to move when the cloud lifted, there was a lot of time where the cloud stayed settled down. And when the cloud was down, the people camped. Sometimes, again, it wasn't very long. Sometimes it was just a day, just an evening. Sometimes it wasn't very long. But then sometimes they had to wait for a while. And I wonder sometimes what was going through their mind. I mean, the people had come out of the hands of Egypt, where a lot of times they thought it was better there. They'd come out of the hands of Egypt, and they'd been camping at Mount Sinai for a while, and now they're going to move towards the Promised Land, but it wasn't going to be according to their timing. No, it was going to be according to God's timing and their obedience, which will set things back and ruin the opportunity for a whole generation, as we'll see later. Patience wasn't always the Israelites' strong points. But that's the question. Will we still follow when God calls us to wait? You see, we live in a fast-paced world, don't we, where everything is about speed? We want everything quickly, don't we, as quick as possible? Oh, man, how many of you like to use one-day shipping when you order something? Do you remember back in the days when there wasn't Amazon delivery trucks all over the place, and if you ordered something, it was like a surprise when it would finally come in the mail weeks, weeks later? Man, we want food so fast that if we don't get it in a certain amount of time, we expect it to be free or discounted. We want food quickly. You know, I'm a movie lover, and do you remember the days when movies were only on one screen? And it was on one screen, and it had a couple of different showtimes, and if it was a big new release, everybody would be there waiting in line, and the line would go out of the theater, down the hallway, and you would have to wait to see the movie. And now, movies are on seven screens with 50 different showtimes every day. We've moved so quickly that the idea of waiting seems foreign to us. But I think we're better at waiting than we would imagine. Now, I'm sure some of you, like me, love Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. absolutely love Chick-fil-A. And one of the things that they do that I really love about Chick-fil-A is whenever there's a new store that opens, a new restaurant that opens, they have this thing called the First 100. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but what they do is when a new restaurant is about to open, the first 100 people who get to Chick-fil-A and get inside will get free Chick-fil-A for a year. And people will brave whatever the elements may be, and they will wait in line. In some places, they will camp out all night just to be one of the first people to get into Chick-fil-A. A matter of fact, in 2015, they had to start making it zip code specific for each restaurant because they would have people who would come in from all around the country to camp at these new restaurants just so they can get in and get free Chick-fil-A for a year. And I get it. I get it. I love Chick-fil-A myself. I would, you know, a free uh, Chick-fil-A for a year for free? Absolutely. Sign me up. But I think this tells me something. 
I think it shows that if something is important to us, if something is really worth the sacrifice, if it's worth waiting in the elements for, then we will wait, won't we? David Wooten says it like this. Consider these things. An oak tree takes 40 years to mature. Food prepared in the kitchen and cooked in the conventional oven is a lot better than microwave dinners. It takes 5 to 20 years for a saltwater pearl to form. The longer the years, the bigger the pearl. You can build a barn in a day, and it takes months to build a beautiful home. Ferraris are handmade workmanship by tradesmen. They are not built by a robotic assembly line like the common Ford, Chevy, or Toyota that is built in a day. Ferraris require three weeks to be hand-built. A common car on average can be purchased around 20000 to 40000 The fabulous Ferrari can be purchased for 192000 But it's really not that easy, is it? I mean, really, let's think about it. The things that we want are often so much bigger than just free Chick-fil-A. It's the marriage that we've been praying for, that we've been fighting in, and it's the marriage that we've been really working on, and we've been praying for answers, and yet it just seems like nothing's happening. It's the test results that we keep praying for, but it just feels like everything keeps going the opposite direction. It's the times when we feel stuck somewhere and we're praying and praying and praying for there to be doors open and yet all the doors just seem to keep being slammed in our face. And really it's the idea that we're so tired because we know that something better awaits us in the future, life with him for all eternity, and yet we are in this world and it just feels like everything is broken. And waiting just feels impossible. And yet we're reminded in Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And the truth is, in life, there's going to be periods of wait. There's going to be periods where we have to camp out in whatever the position we're in, whatever place we're in. And so while we wait, what do we do? What do we do while we're in those moments where God is telling us to just be still, to wait? Well, I think there's a few things we can do. I think we put our hope in the word. We put our hope in the word. In moments of waiting, we start to put our hope in other things, don't we? When we feel like we're stuck in this moment of wait, we start to put our hope in other things rather than in the word. We put our hope in other people. We put our hope in doctors. We put our hope in counselors. We put our hope in all of these things rather than putting our hope in him, in his word. And yet the word is unshakable. The word is a firm foundation. As it says in the Psalms, Psalm 103, 5, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. We need to be in the word, and we need to put our hope in the word and what he says. Another thing that we can do while we wait is lean not on our own understanding. And this is a hard one, isn't it? We get so angry when things don't move according to our timetable because really we think that we know what's best for us, don't we? Who knows me better than me? Who knows you better than you? We know everything about ourselves. And so when things aren't moving according to our time or our plan, we start to get frustrated. We start to get angry. Instead, we need to lean not on our own understanding and instead trust God. 
Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, it tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Here's another thing that we can do. We can pray. We can pray. One of the best things that we can do while we wait is pray. We pray and we seek his will and we search him out through prayer. Lamentations 3.25 tells us the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. But sometimes if you're like me, we say, I I just don't know what to pray. I've been praying the same things. It feels like over and over and over again, and I just don't know what to pray. I think of the words of Paul in Romans 8.25 through 27. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. You know, this is a little bit lengthy, but I thought it was a really good read, and so I want to share it with you this morning. I was reading this blog post on the Gospel Coalition the other night, and it's It was called Our Cravings, God's Promises, and the Waiting Mode by a guy named Scotty Smith. And in this post, what he does is he just writes down his prayer for waiting. And I just want to read to you what he wrote. This was his prayer during the waiting. He says, Heavenly Father, I hate waiting. The tension between craving what you've promised and waiting for it reveals my sin as surely and quickly as anything. I want what you've promised, but I want it now. I'm weary of waiting for the fullness of your kingdom. I do impatience so much better than waiting. I want wolves and lambs, Republicans and Democrats, Duke and Carolina fans, all kinds of enemies to live in perfect peace today. I want to wake up in a forever world of no angry words and no sarcastic body language, no more spite, fight, or flight. When will kindness replace all the madness? I want all nursing of grudges, fertilizing bitterness, and withholding grace to be things in the past. I crave the day of no more minimizing evil, misrepresenting facts, and manipulating circumstances. Indeed, I want what you've promised, but I want it now. Father, that day is coming, and it's called life in the new heavens and the new earth. When you send Jesus back, all the things will be right forever. Until that day, help me to live in love to your glory. And this day, keep me wise, careful, and alive. To what we already have in Jesus through the gospel. You've already taken away our stony hearts and gave, have given us new hearts. You've reconciled us to yourself, making peace with us in Jesus. You've forgiven our sins and our healing, our brokenness, declared us guiltless and righteous in your sight, and have adopted us, your beloved daughters and sons. Thank you and hallelujah. Father, keep teaching me what faith expressing itself in love looks like. No matter how long we have to wait for Jesus to make, things, or to make all things new, keep me humble and gentle, present and expectant. May I live more as a peacemaker than a scorekeeper. So very amen, I pray, in Jesus' big and beautiful name. To be patient, it's hard. I'm not the most patient person. They say it's a virtue, and I think that's why. It's hard for us. We want these things now, and we see others who have what we want, and they, we see what they're going through, and we look at our life, and we start to grow impatient. 
But in Psalm 37, verse 7, it says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Here's the truth. Sometimes we have to wait. But here's the thing. I've spent a lot of time looking back at the moments in my life where the doors were closing, and it was wait. I looked back at those moments where I was frustrated and I wanted things to change. I look back at the moments in my life where the word was wait when I would watch my wife cry. Every single time one of her friends said, we're expecting. And I wondered over and over and over again, God, why? Why does this door keep closing in our face? Why does this stuff keep happening? Why are we waiting? There's a lot of frustrated moments and I look back at those moments now, and I actually see it was a time where I learned to pray more. It was a time when I learned to trust more. It was a time when I learned to put my hope in him rather than in people and or things. It was in the waiting where God really opened my eyes to things around me, needs around me. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed over and over and over again. God, please do something. We would love to have a family. We would love to have children. God, please do something. Over time, the thing that we've seen, foster care is a need. Adoption is a need. God has been really striking that on our hearts. It was in the waiting. It was in the time spent praying and trusting his word, being in his word, leaning on him, that we learn these things. And maybe you're here this morning and you are in the wait. And the question is, will you choose to still obey? Will you trust in his leading? Because here is the truth. Just because you don't see anything right now, that doesn't mean that God isn't working. Just because you don't see something right now doesn't mean that God's not moving, that God is not growing closer in your walk with him. It doesn't mean that he's absent or distant or away. And that's the question. Will you trust his leading this morning? Will you obey whether his call is for you to move or his call for you is to wait? Will you obey? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they make their way up here, here's the good news. We can trust in his lead. We can trust in his lead because we know that God knows what is best for us. We can trust in his lead because we know he is going to lead us according to his will, his perfect and pleasing will. We know that God is going to lead us because of his love for us. And this love for us is proved by sending his son. The son who came, who lived, who died on the cross, but he rose again and that grave is empty. And so maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not been following or obeying because you've never actually given your life to him. If that's the case this morning, you can do that. You can choose to follow him. You can choose to follow him in in every decision and you can choose to live for him. Become a new creation. So if that's you this morning on their connect cards, you can write that down. I'd love to talk with you. You could come up here. I'd love to talk with you. Or maybe you're here this morning and we've been struggling with obedience. 
We've been struggling with following his call in our lives. Maybe he's been telling us to move. Maybe he's been prompting us to move and we've been fighting it. We've been trying to ignore it. We've been trying to say, I can't because of blank. Maybe it's time to let those things go this morning and to lay those at his feet and do what he's calling you to do. Maybe he's been calling you to do something for a while and you've just been pushing it away. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're in the wait. You're in the wait. You're feeling like the doors are being closed. You're feeling like the, man, my timing, God's timing, it's not just matching up. And I'm just feeling like I'm in this wait. More now than ever, there's never been a better time to pray. Spend time talking with him. Right where you're sitting this morning, you can pray. You can come up here and I'd love to pray with you. But are we going to be obedient to God's lead? Will we follow where he leads? Will we follow his plan? Will we follow his will? Or will we try to do everything on our own? If you're here this morning and you've never decided to follow him and you want to, if you have to spend some time praying, please do so as we sing together.